everybody, and welcome to the 184th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that is always down for a good adventure. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody, and good evening, James. Did you enjoy... Oh, do you have Labor Day in Canada? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We share unions. I suspect that's why. Hmm. I, uh, I worked. <laughs> good, old, good old labor, but uh, that's fine. I, we never do anything on Labor Day anyways. Um, like, one of our friends has a party, but, like, you know, they didn't even start till 3 or 4 o'clock, so it's easy to just work all day and then just go, go over afterwards. Ellie decided that we were doing spring cleaning in the early fall, so <laughs> most of our time this weekend was spent reorganizing our home. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, we're, we're probably going to do the same thing, actually. We spent all summer working on the house, you know, of my garage. It's a disaster. Because we just moved in in the spring and then just dumped stuff everywhere. And then I started doing work and we haven't really like settled a lot of stuff yet. So I would bet come. I think we agreed right after Halloween, we were going to go through and really do a hard reset of everything. It's it's really hard to find room for the leaf blower when your garage is full of bad specs, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, that's what my entire living room is for, bad specs. (laughs) I I sold right before we started recording a... Japanese foil Sashiro the Anointed Ooh. for for thirty five dollars, and I'm like, what? Did somebody spoil a snake card? What just happened? <laughs> yeah, that stuff doesn't sell often, but it does occasionally sell, and your margins I I, are usually pretty sweet. <laughs> I bet I have had that card for two years. Sure, and I bet I paid six dollars for it. Yeah. Um. When you get to it, when you have an old foil that's at a tipping point and is could be triggered by a variety of different, possibly snake-related events, then it might take a while, but you'll usually get there. Yeah. Yep. All right. So I am looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. What is on our agenda this week, my friend? Well, James, this week we have a show in four parts. Segment one, our top movers. We'll be talking about the cards that have risen the most in price this week. Segment two, our cards to watch. We'll talk about cards James and I like for next week. Segment, or for the future. (laughs) For the future. I mean, lately it's been for next week, but for the future generically. Segment three, our metagame week in review. We've got a couple events to talk about now that we are uh, one kind of one week post Stoneforge ban. And segment four, our topic of the week, we've got some Throne of Aldrain spoilers. Side note, I don't think I like that name. Uh, it's kind of clunky to say. And uh, maybe some Mythic Edition rumors, so there's some, some new information there we can get into. 
but let's get into uh, segment one, our top movers. First card of the week, Sword of Light and Shadow, non-foils out of Darksteel, 3260 for a nice double up. This is on the back, of course, on the Stoneforge Mystic Unban, which caused all sorts of action since the last time we spoke, uh, or I guess... No, because last time we recorded, it was the day after the Stoneforge unbanned, so everything was moving at that time. Yeah. 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 So Light and Shadow went. Light and Shadow is definitely the worst, generally, of the common picks. You know, you're going to get typically two equipment per deck, and one of those is Batterskull. Feast and Famine and Fire and Ice are the two big ones. Uh, Sword of Light and Shadow is a far third place. So I don't... I, I'd be selling my copies for 60 bucks. I think that this is a lot of this is hype. We don't even know if Stoneforge is good enough yet. And Stoneforge is probably, or sort of Light and Shadow is probably not going to be a first pick for those t- builds anyways. So I, I'm selling my Light and Shadows. I agree that I'm selling, but not necessarily because I don't think Stoneforge is going to be good enough. I just think people are vastly overestimating total demand for swords. Um, you only play one of each per deck and which one you're playing depends on what the meta looks like so there's still mythics some of them have been out of print for a while so they're going to hold some of this but i'm expecting some retracing uh yeah for sure for sure it's just even if you think stoneforge is amazing you're probably not going to buy uh every person is not going to need light and shadows um okay Force of Virtue, Foils out of Modern Horizons, 4 and change, upwards of 10. So Foils for a little more than a double up there. Uh, I mean, this is a solid Modern Horizons card. I'm unaware of any significant play that it's seen in the last week or two. And, you know, I've looked through a lot of deck lists and I'm not seeing anything specific. So this must just be people acquiring their copies um, and the inventory reacting to it, unless you've got a better idea than I do. No, there, there was a early performer, I think day one of the SCG Open this weekend, where they were playing a mono-white deck that was leveraging this. Um, that's what kicked it off. Um, okay. I don't know how deep it got into day two. I'd have to double check. I don't think it, it, did, don't think it made top 16. I'm not sure if it made top 32. Um, but the deck is out there. Pe- people are basically saying this is better than people think, which is going to be a consistent theme with rares from Modern Horizons. Yeah, most likely. Uh, following that, Ice Fan Quaddle. So this is a uh, a fun one to see here. You and I both basically picked it last week. I wrote about the non-foils in my article on Monday morning, and then you wrote about you picked the foils on cast Monday night. So definitely some interest in Ice Fan Quaddle there. Uh, but I don't know if that's entirely us either. I think part of that was the Stoneforge unbanned because Ice Fan Quaddle is one of the most common cards I'm seeing people pair with stoneforge there's a lot of blue like bant strategies that are floating around where people are trying to triangulate them against the evolving meta and the meta it's not clear that the meta is fully accommodating the presence of ice fan quaddle at tier one but that doesn't mean there's not going to be a lot of ice fan quaddles played at your local fnm um and there is plenty of room for this card to continue to evolve because it's just a very strong card and there are other reasons to be playing with snowlands at this point um arkham's astrolab is one of them uh dead of winter uh on thin ice as we'll see later in this list so still still looking like a solid pick it's retraced a bit 
um, for the non-foils, but I think non-foils may even still be a buy. Yeah, I am. Um, I saw that price and I was really ticked off that I don't have enough copies for myself. <laughs> uh, Howl Pack Resurgence foils out of Shadows over Innistrad, two and change, two over six for over a double up. I thought that this might be in response to Throne of Eldraine, uh, but I don't see any spoilers that would lead me to believe that. You know, we haven't seen anything specifically wolf related. Uh, but it's so. a pretty sure bet we're getting wolves because yeah. the the whisper is that it's like giants, dwarves, uh, fairies, etc. In this set, like all the fantasy creatures, and wolves will be in there too because of all of the like Red Riding Hood type tropes. So I'd expect at least a few good wolves, and there was also some wolves sprinkled into the core set that looked like a setup for that. Sure, I guess that seems like a bit of a stretch for me for people going out and buying these foils. Like, I just I don't love that. Well, the, the the question becomes: Is the big bad wolf card that we're inevitably going to get here going to be a good enough commander that it hmm. makes wolf cards good for a short period of time? Yeah, I could buy that. Like, maybe maybe they they do print a, a legendary literal big bad wolf. Hmm. It smells like the kind of pick that would have showed up on a Reddit finance post. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. <laughs> so next on the list, we've got Empowered Auto Generator out of Commander 2019, in theory going from 4 to $9. This and many of the other Commander 2019 cards that are new via that set have taken off like rocket ships, and, and it's important to understand what's actually going on there. Um, it's not that these cards are so much better than cards in prior years that have taken longer to take off. It's that I think Wizard submarined wave one of the supply. So most of our you know vendor contacts, including our sponsor Cool Stuff Inc., pretty much sold out of wave one almost immediately, like within the first few days of release, and are waiting on their distributors to hand off wave two. Once wave two hits, the vendors will start will be able to put some aside and start cracking for singles, which will then get posted on TCG and eBay, which will then end their website and their own websites, and then will consequently drive the price down. Um, but while the product is sold out, these prices can be propped up because of a combination of real player demand, people acquiring these cards for their commander decks, and there are quite a few sweet ones, and speculators taking early swipes and holding the price up artificially, which is only going to work for a short period of time here. They need to get out quick because it's not like Commander 2019 is out of print. There are further waves forthcoming. Gotcha. Okay, I can buy that, and that would explain the other commander 2019 card we've got on our list as well yeah i mean if you look at all of these these like unique two commander 2019 cards their inventory is remarkably low given that they just came out um and i my read on that is that a lot of the vendors sold decks and didn't crack for singles so they just Hmm. don't have any singles to sell okay okay uh following that minkiki gusadi out of saviors of kamigawa the foils ten bucks to twenty five. I know at least one of the guys in our Discord is responsible for that because he posted going after them. For those that are unfamiliar, Monkiki Gusari is an equipment that when uh, it gives the equipped creature the ability to blow up other equipment. So does the anti equipment equipment um, most notable for its place in Magic's history, where a uh, the story goes that. Uh, it was either Burton Cheney or Edgar Flores. Man, I haven't heard of Edgar Flores at all in forever. Uh, 
But in any, you know, he dropped off the Star City Tour, and I have just never heard nothing since. But Mankiki Gusari is the card that, uh, story goes, one of those guys registered it in a 75 at a Star City Open, uh, back when Stoneforge was legal. Uh, go then, but he doesn't have it, which is not uncommon. You know, you register the deck. They they would show up with buys. They would know what their deck list is. They would register the deck list, and then they would go pick up cards they needed from the vendor on site during the first two buys. Nor- normal behavior. Well, he needed this Mankiki Gusari and couldn't find it anywhere because Manriki. nobody brought this card. I'm sorry, Mankiki. Manriki. Manriki Gusari. Manriki Gusari. And then finally find some guy with one of these, a foil one in his trade binder, Going, you know, going nuts trying to find this card because he registered it in his deck list and he doesn't have one. And the foils at the time were like a dollar. And he's like, I need to buy that, you know, I need that card from you. And the kid, and he explained, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I need this card. It's in my deck list and I don't have any. And the guy within his binder goes, uh, okay, 25 bucks. <laughs> because he just had him over a barrel, which uh, I think I, I think I support. I think I support that behavior because uh, that is pretty funny. Definitely not my 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 style on the floor, but I can I, I can appreciate how amusing it is. <laughs> you know, if you don't like the guy and he needs it for the event, and like you know that he can and will pay it, I'd, I I'd have it. I'd have to not like the guy, and even then, I would feel like I was being hyper aggressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm not saying I would do it, but I respect it. I, I, respect I think I would. It. If I didn't like the guy, I'd be more likely to just say no. Like mm. make it be like you know I might make I was thinking about a kitchen table equipment deck next week with like goblins plus equipment it's probably gonna be really sweet yeah so i think i'm just gonna hold on to this one <laughs> all right so next on the list we got gibbering descent at a future site this is a card that people are squeezing into their madness decks uh frog tosser banneret at a morning tide foils going from 20 to 60 um that's on the back of some uh continual interest in the black red goblins deck and modern um, morning tide you know that entire block those foils are very hard to come by of course so anytime any kind of amount any amount of play shows up for modern slash edh they tend to be very expensive uh mm-hmm. weaver of lies out of legions foils from 12 to 40 if you believe that um on the back of the morph deck i'd be so happy to sell the couple of those i have lying around for 20 dollars <laughs> or even less oh yeah <laughs> 40 seems like such a push uh y- yeah for sure but you know i sold a weaver of i think it was a weaver of lies for like 20 bucks or 15 bucks not 40 though uh world gorgeous dragons foils and non-foils took off here uh the foils i believe this is 8 to 25 you're you're saying this is yeah 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 the non-foils 2 to 8 the foils 7 to 25 you've got madness edh written down here Francis must have been an article i missed what do you got for me this is just you're discarding this and then animating dead right like, you're just squeezing the combo into your Madness deck because it's so easy to get stuff in the yard. Okay. I'll accept That's that. It. That's it. I mean, it's a, it's a mythic from Eternal Masters, and Eternal Masters is four years old now. Um, and so unlikely that this is high on the priority list for a reprint for a while. For sure. For sure. Now, okay. again, one of those situations where, yeah, that's also a thing in Legacy, but Legacy doesn't really move the needle these days. So as with the morph cards, you want to get in and get out on this stuff. And like, if you've got a world gorgeous dragon sitting in the collection, unload it now while the while the card is hot, because in six weeks there'll be people will be all about throne of Aldrain and all of the sexy fey folk. <laughs> sexy fey folk. <laughs> well, I, I guess you haven't. Have you seen this new show on Amazon, uh, where there's a lot of people having sex with fairies? 
Uh, I have not. <laughs> what is it called? It's got, I can't remember the name. It's with uh, uh, Cara Delevingne and Orlando Bloom. It's quite the, quite the big deal. Um, and I suspect it is going to be uh, best remembered for people having a lot of sex with fairies, basically. Gotcha. <laughs> Um, and it's also it has me so suspicious of wizards timing on these things. Cause everybody's always just like, oh yeah, wizards just rides the zeitgeist. But again, they're launching a, a fairy themed set just as a big fairy themed show is launching. And also saga, which is basically like the show is kind of a ripoff of the saga storyline and it will, that's coming down the pipe as a movie or mini series or something. Not so far in the distant future. What's saga? Saga is a really big deal. Graphic novel. <laughs> that ah. uh is about uh a, like a magic uh society and a uh technological society that are in this interstellar war and uh two soldiers from either side fall in love and and have a crossbreed child that becomes the like center of a massive political scandal and they get chased across the galaxy while they try to maintain their relationships very like postmodern uh hipster graphic novel that's very popular hmm. and, it, and oh, it involves okay. like it involves like one the, the male part of that partnership is basically a like a fairy folk he's like a puck or whatever they're called with horns and so forth and the female has wings so it's it's all the same stuff uh, okay <laughs> sure uh i don't know at what point did prestige television just become an excuse to have nudity and sex like at some at some point oh, prestige as as, television uh, just became like sex as soon as hbo realized that their ratings went up when they showed an ass and mm. some tea probably because <laughs> that that definitely i feel like took off like prestige television is what it is but it, fe- it feels like the nudity component of it has just ramped up over and over and over again well one of the with the really funny thing that they do i think because it, it costs money like once somebody's a star and the show's been going for a while. It costs mm. a lot of money to keep them nude. So what typically happens is they have to agree to be nude early on. But as the series goes on, it gets less. They do it less and less. And you saw that with Game of Thrones. We've seen it with other shows. Uh, fabulous Miss Maisel famously has like an incredible boobage scene in the first episode, and then she never does it again um, mm. because it in in argument it was you know a contextual thing. She was drunk. Her husband had cheated on her, and she went to a comedy club. And decided to just take off her top. This is, yeah. in, the fif- this is in the 50s, no less. Okay. Uh, but then the show goes in a very like different direction. But they do that on a regular basis to lure people in, like hoping to get a glimpse of more nipple. Yeah, I remember, uh, what's her name? Amelia Clark, the Daenerys in Game of Thrones, was top right. She was topless right at the start of the show several times. But then by the time they got into season three or four as she had her contract amended that she didn't have to do nudity anymore. You know, once Game of Thrones took off and she was who she was. Yeah. But, hmm. Whatever. Uh, okay. So Where bottom line, <laughs> people are going to be talking about fairies. Don't get, don't get caught up in your morph and madness cards for too long. Okay. Fair. Very fair. All right. So that was World Gorger Dragon, right? So we're talking about... <laughs> Core Tapper. All right, so War, how, how we Gorgia got Dragon from World Gorgia Dragon to nipples, I have no idea. Yeah, but here World we Gorgia go. Dragon is, is titty card. Uh, Core Tapper foils out of Dark Steel ten to like thirty. This is part of uh, which modern combo deck is this? This is the one with Karn the Great Creator, Astral Cornucopia, Chalice of the Void, Everflowing Chalice, Mishra's Bauble, 
Mox Opal, Expedition Map, Surge Node, Ensnaring Midge, and Bridge and Mystic Forge. Um, so basically, you're putting extra counters on things all the time and either ramping up your mana super hard or uh, going off with Mystic Forge on the back of that. And if you've got the car in the Great Creator toolbox in the sideboard, etc. This isn't good, is it? It fi- it was fourth place at the SCG Team Open Richmond August 18th. So, good enough. Also, it's also a Tron deck. They run the full Tron suite. I, would, I wouldn't underestimate colorless decks in modern moving forward because if they get even a couple more pieces, they are going to look real busted. Like, Karn the Great Creator is a busted magic card. It's the seventh most played card in the format now, by the way, which we'll talk about again later. Um, Mystic Forge is a four of here. I called early as a very busted looking magic card. Blast Zone gives them a lot of utility in the land slot alongside already having access to the best mana base in the format via Tron. Um, and then this whole Surge Node, Astral Cornucopia cuteness is just a way of leveraging things like Walking Ballista to X people out when you want to. Well, you know, I didn't see it in any of the the lists that I was looking at the results, but I maybe it's in a, I guess it's in a modern MCQ somewhere. That makes sense. The, uh, there are a ton. I mean, we're going to talk about this after, but there is a fairly narrow metagame in tier one, tier 1.5. And then there's about a hundred decks you could choose to play your FNM at this point and, you know, win through. So modern's in an interesting place right now. I think it's in, in a good place. Okay. I mean, I, I agree with that. I think Modern is probably the best it's ever been, right? Like, it just seems nuts how fun it looks at the moment. And that might change, but right now, it is like, looks real wide open. And I'm sure we'll see it coalesce around some fairly likely suspects um, in the near future, but... It's always lovely when a format's of course, brimming with potential. To. So next on our list, we got Shrine of Burning Rage and a new Phyrexia. Uh, foils from 5 to $20. I think these are being used in the mono red decks um, that put up good numbers this weekend at SCG Open, where I think three of the top eight were mono red, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, I, there was a lot of burn this weekend for sure. Yeah, so I mean, this is always this has been the go-to if you're trying to make sure you've got colorless damage to seal the game, and now they've got access to things like Lava Dart if they want it to cast twice and put extra counters on the shrine. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, it's a potent deck, and this was a really good weekend for, especially because no one knew exactly what was going on. Everything was real on tune because the format was so upheavaled. So just showing up and burning the crap out of people was especially rewarding. Um, following Shrine of Burning Rage, we've got, let's see, well, so Sudden Substitution, 2 and change up to 14, but this is essentially the same thing with Empowered Auto Generator earlier out of Commander 2019, but a big jump there. Um, Highland Wheel, third of the week, foils out of Cold Snap. This is the Snow Duel. It comes into play tapped, makes red or green mana, and it's a snow land. So the, I saw this, and the very first thing I did was go back and check the Valakit list that I know that had a weekend here to see how they did, uh, or to see if they were running Highland Wheel, but it wasn't in those lists. So I'm I'm not clear if a streamer was playing Highland Wheel than his Valakit list or what the thinking was here, because it's specifically the red-green one. None of the other ones showed up on the list. This um, 
this week, but they have this showed week. up in the last eight weeks. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, we didn't talk about any of them. Uh, I, think I don't remember that, having a f- very many, certainly not three or four foil cold snap snow duels. I think Frostmarsh has appeared and maybe the white green one at some point as well. It was really just a function of snow sets. We think a snow set is coming. So do other people who knows when that will be. But snow duels, you get a preponderance of snow cards and any snow duel is going to be super valuable in EDH. Because unlike modern, where you may you may only need what is currently available, Prismatic Vista plus the snow basics, um, it's possible that you're going to want all the snow lands you can possibly get your hands on so that you can turn on your snow cards faster. Since that tends to be the what you're looking to do with snow. And, and they just haven't been printed in a long time. So there's not that many of those foils sitting around. Um, again, the kind of thing I don't think you want to be deep on. Definitely very shallow. That exposure is probably just whatever is sitting in your collection, and you just want to pull it out and have it on hand in case you have an opportunity to unload it. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that there's snow in the discussion. People are excited about snow. There might be some attention, additional attention paid to it. Not going to take much to get rid of it because there's so few of them, but I don't know, just kind of caught my attention, I guess. Uh, okay. Dulcet Sirens non-foils out of Commander 2014 uh, this is on the uh, morph play. So Dulcet Sirens is quite old. Uh, like I said, Commander 2014, five years, but it's got a morph ability. We know we just saw the morph commander. That's the only printing of the card. Not too much exciting here, but I think the market price is currently around six bucks. Yeah, the $6 is the market price, although the cheapest price is 450 so someone paid six bucks for it, and it is sneaking back as people dig all their copies out to ditch them. So just a correction I want to make here. It's not the three mono red decks that made top eight at the open were not running Shrine of Burning Rage. They were a little bit more classically configured. There is a deck, however, called Mono Red Blitz that top eighted the modern IQ uh, in Louisville this weekend. That is a Blister Coil Weird, four Monastery Swift Spear, four Soul Scar Mage, three Bedlam Reveler, four Burst Lightning, four Crash Through. Bet you you don't know what that does. Uh, four Lava Dart, four Lava Spike, four Lightning Bolt, two Reckless Charge, and four Manamorphose with four Light Up the Stage. So that's whole, that's more of a like Prowess Voltron combo kind of build. Yeah, and I they don't. Have, they have two Shrine in the sideboard. I don't think I know what the one is. Power through, crash through. It gives trample and draws a card. Hmm. So you, okay. you get your blister coil weird way or your monastery swift spear, swift spear real big and make sure it hits. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so last card of the week here on thin ice. Uh, looks like you guys were talking about this in the discord. Can you guys, can you give me some information about what the conversation looked like there? Yeah, I'm, start, I'm starting to have trouble tracking whether we've talked about it on cast or we've just talked about it with all the members in the Discord. <laughs> um, and it's definitely fair to say that at least some of my best ideas and other people's um, are being siphoned off and dealt with ahead of the chance to cast. I mean, we only cast once a week. Discord is humming 24-7. So, um, you know, as that progresses, we get more and more people in there. There's several hundred of us in that Discord these days. Um, 
becomes more and more behooves you if you are interested in listening to this podcast to really take a hard look at ProTrader <laughs> because a lot of value has been driven there. Some uh, people that are not our staff have made me and others lots of money by flagging stuff early. And On Thin Ice was one of those cards where somebody just said, hey, no, I was looking over all these blue whitelist posts, Hogak ban. Um, a lot of them are running On Thin Ice. Take a look at the foil inventory. Uh, looking pretty low, very cheap in certain places, sold out in others. Looks like a pretty good thing to take a swipe at. I mean, there's nothing I like better than an undervalued modern foil that was plucked out of a premium set that people completely overlooked up front as trash that is just showing up all over the place um, on the back of, again, Bant synergies with snow cards. Um, if you're running Ice Van Quaddle, you can find reason to run on the nice, sometimes in the main, sometimes in the sideboard. Blue-white sometimes runs a split, one or two in the main, one maybe in the sideboard. Um, it's just a very efficient removal spell if you've got the, the Snowlands to support it. It sure is. Um, and you know, if snow becomes as big as it seems like it might be in modern, uh, it'll be really well positioned as a, an efficient way of dealing with things. Um, so Modern Horizon is just a gift that keeps on giving. I have a general rule of thumb developed at this point for rare foils out of Modern Horizons that look like they have at least a modicum of play in Modern and or EDH. They should not be cheaper than $10. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. The The cost basis of the set, again, was twice what it would normally be. So a $10 foil rare is essentially a $5 foil rare in terms of its takeoff potential. And we're just going to see... This is going to be like dominoes. There will be 10 to 15 more foil rares from M uh, Modern Horizons that over the next 18 months will just drain into nothingness. And then the really, the really really good ones like Force of Negation, Prismatic Vista, the, the Canopy Lands, etc. <clears throat> I mean, those foils, sky's the limit. Whatever the max is in the format, that's what you're going to be looking at because... Once the inventory is just not there anymore a year from now, that's about when boxes are going to get real hard to come by. Um, you know, there's no restock potential. <laughs> so those cards are going to be real expensive. Uh, yeah, I am eager to see where all of this goes. Uh, I think the sky's the limit kind of on Modern Horizons. Uh, and I think people are going to look back at it and be disappointed that they didn't get in as cheap as they were supposed to. People, th there are like... There's an 8% eBay bucks deal tonight for a lot, for some people. It's not, you know, those things are targeted, so not everybody always gets it. But if you mm. see, you know, 5 to 10% off on TCG or eBay and you're looking at a $180 box of Modern Horizons, take 10% off that, you're looking at like in the mid-160s. That's basically wholesale. That is, yeah, that is a, a, a tempting price. And I, I guess that's, you know, that's the fair market price today. Right, like that is the amount that you're supposed to pay for that that product, um, but it, that still feels undervalued. That still feels like you're getting a deal because it just. Yeah, I'd have to go. You know, I don't. I'd have to go check. Uh, what is that, Angel? If there's that website that try that handles the box EV. Uh, well, you can you can, you can get that but, on MG, MGG stocks and shortly on price as well. Yeah, I I I, and I my buddy came over and was telling me he saw that. Uh, Modern Horizons was like plus $50 EV to crack right now. And I don't doubt that at all. Um, and I kind of wonder how long that'll be the case for because uh, the set is just packed. Just keep well, like, it just packed. 
TCG low on a box is about 163. So that basically means it's going to be very hard to go wrong opening a box. Now at average market pricing, you're at, at market pricing, you're talking about 29, 209, 210. So that's where he's getting the plus 40. If you can get one for 170 or so, you're up, or 170 to 180, you're up 30 or 40 bucks. Now you've got to actually got to unload those. You got to look at real numbers. You got to subtract your your 13% fees or whatever on average to get back to something realistic. And the, But the only reason I haven't been targeting this harder is that we've been targeting the Russian boxes because we're getting them basically for, you know, within $20 of that and just the presence of the foil snowlands and blah, 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 makes them so much better. I just did my tally for my second 12 in my spreadsheet last night. And boy, oh boy, <laughs> it only took a pile of about 25 cards um, to cover the expense of those 12 boxes. And everything else is just free. Hmm. So once I sell through stuff like Foil Sarah, Foil Nurturing Peatland, a bunch of Russian Force Negations, which I've been moving fairly briskly, some Russian, you know, three copies of Russian Renin Six over a hundred bucks, just isn't going to take that long to be able to rebuy. And I'm just going to keep rolling down, rolling that, and rolling that, and rolling that until we somebody tells us we can't get anymore. Well, I uh, I did crack a single box. Ooh, and tell me, tell me. You saw it, didn't you, on Twitter? I ended up with a, uh, a my best pit pull was a Russian foil plague engineer. Nice. I was very pleased to see today is actually the fourth most played card in modern, I think, which I would not have guessed. It is I the knew... fourth most played creature in modern. Yeah, sorry, that's, creature. But that's, but that's still impressive. That's a lot more than I would have guessed in any case. Uh, so... If I manage to get rid of that one for as much as I'm hoping, then I will crack another box. But I'm I'm gonna be a I'm gonna be very strict on the I have to get rid of the card. I have to make the boxes value back before I open a second one. Ooh, the professor's model. That's uh, totally solid. Yeah, mostly just I don't want to over leverage and find myself with a pile of Russian cards that are just taking kind of a long time to move through uh, and be out a bunch of sealed product that I could have just sold and been done with. Um, but but at the same time, I only have to sell one card and then I get to roll the dice again. Am I correct in assuming that you're going to go for 150 to 200 on that one? Uh, I think I have it listed at 180, maybe 190. Because somebody on TCG had already has one and they wanted like 220 for it. And I dropped it down because I'm like, eh, I don't think so. Um, but I was going to post this... Uh, Twitter, I forgot I was meant to do that last week. Post on Twitter and be like, "Hey, I've got this card. Make me some offers and see if I can get anyone to take me up on it." At like, uh, you know, maybe a little less than one eighty. That's a pretty nice one. I um, would agree. Did, what? What did you pull a Renin six in that box? Nope. How about a Force Negation? Yes. All right. Well, that's a fifty dollar bill right there. Yeah. Well, I haven't sold that one yet either. I have actually sold zero of my Russian cards, but and I did list them all. But I don't know. Why did I list my force mitigation out? I, I think if you're the like, say you don't have when you have a playset to offer, I think you're in better shape generally with these because mm. nobody wants one Russian force mitigation; they want four. Um, so I, I sold a playset of Russian force on eBay for one ninety five, I think, last week, um, and suspect I could chuck chuck reload and do it again pretty pretty easily within a month. Hmm. All right. Looks like I have mine listed at 75, which is the cheapest on TCG right now. But that might be a little greedy. I don't think I think it might be greedy only in the sense that. In this time frame, 
But I don't think that's a, I, I think you can get that target in a year. And so if that ROI is better than your average, then it's fine. Yeah. I mean, the, the temptation is, boy, I wish I could sell this card so I can open another box, right? Yep. It's kind of the thinking. Um, so I should probably be a little more flexible in that price. Well, like somebody uh, offered me, somebody offered me a foil Russian ice fang quaddle in our discord yesterday for 59 minus fees or whatever, because they had it posted for the same price on eBay. And I snapped that I would take them up on that. <laughs> yeah, it seems pretty solid. I, I think any foil, a good modern foil Russian rare from this set is an easy $100 bill. And I don't see any any reason to accept less. And we're talking about Force of Vigor, Collector Oof, uh, Ice Fang Quaddle, uh, Goblin Engineer, all that stuff. Well, I hope you're right. Because uh, that would make all the cards I own a lot better. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm assuming you, you saw, did you get the two foil Russian Snow Basics? Uh, yes, actually, I think I got exactly two. Which is nice. Because yeah. um, that adds easy, at least 40, probably closer to 60 to the value of the box. Um, so that's one option to unload quick. And then I'm assuming you got, did you get Prismatic Vista in the at least two or three of the Canopy Lands? I got one Canopy Land and zero Prismatic Vistas. No way. Wow. No that, way. That is, that you will find that that is very unusual. Having now opened 24 boxes, I can tell you that the average is definitely at least four of the six rare lands. Jeez. Yeah, I know. I got one. One of those and zero prismatics. Yeah, somebody else on Twitter commented that it seemed like I had gotten uh, pretty unlucky on the land count. But the Russian foil plague engineer was was pretty tasty. I mean, really, it's, I guess, the most valuable uh, rare force negation in the set. Force oh, for, yeah, force negation. Yeah, but uh, plague engineer is up there. Yeah, it's up there. It's in it's it's in the, a pack of about five that can arguably be said to be roughly equivalent. Like Force of Vigor is way up there too. Collector Oof because they have applications in multiple formats. Anyway, uh, it sounds like sounds like an, uh, a medium good box, but it demonstrates why those boxes are so fantastic. You can strike out on segments of the box that in English really would have rooked you, but if you get a really good and just any one good foil anything really like you could get a bad foil rare like a deep forest hermit or something but then pull say the two foils russian snowlands and a foil uh astrolab and still have a 90 dollar backstop on your ev it, it's definitely the type of thing where I think I would have felt a lot worse about having gotten that box in english at the appropriate price rather than the russian box at the price i paid yep all right, so moving right along here, let's talk about cards we like this week. Talk about sex, baby. Sorry. <laughs> well, people, I, 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 my instinct wasn't to make fun of you, but to actually continue on with that song because I have yeah, every but... word of that song memorized, as does everybody <laughs> that was grew up in that era. Um, I'm, I'm a but, little too young to know it all, but I know the chorus. <laughs> n- nobody needs us to be singing that right now. But anyway, no. uh, yeah, so foil, rares, MH1, got a good one. Unsettled Mariner. Mid to long-term hold, call it confidence level 8. Uh, you can currently pick them up around 13. I'd be looking for an exit inside a year at about 25. It's actually in the top 50 creatures in Modern already. Uh, it shows up in multiple shells. Blue-white, Merfolk being the least of them, but more importantly, spirits, humans, and... Uh, 
What's the other one? Human spirits, merfolk. Yeah, human spirits, merfolk. But there's also like a death and taxes build that's not quite humans. Hmm. Um, like an Eldrazi that, taxes. Uh, no, it's more like like ether vials and with a, just a blue splash, um, mostly mono white. And the bottom line is that there's a little bit of like decent amount of EDH demand for this card as well. Like 400 decks reported so far, which is nothing to sneeze at this this far out. Um, and the it's not at a tipping point yet. So you got to pick your entry here because you might be able to wait four to six weeks. But if people listen to me this week, then maybe not. <laughs> there isn't that much of any of these foil rares out there. Like you're lucky if you see 30, 40, 50 listings on TCG. And a lot of them are pretty shallow. Like nobody has buy walls of these, sell walls of these of like 30 or 40 copies. Um, you know, I picked up a few. What did I grab yesterday? Um I'd have to look it up on Card Kingdom, but I bought some foil from them last night, and they just didn't have any left after that. Hmm. It's uh, yeah. This card is. <laughs> I saw you list it. I, I I think all of the foil Modern Horizon stuff. Okay, if you look at the numbers of a lot of the rares in Modern Horizons right now, I don't think that on the surface they're that appealing. And I and I believe that's the case. Even and I think I kind of said this something to this effect with Ice Van Quaddle and uh, what you call it, Ice Van Quaddle and Goblin Engineer too. Like if you just look at the inventory numbers, it dissuades you from them um, because they are generally pretty deep. Uh, I don't have Unsettled Mariner up, so I don't know what the stock looks like on the foils of this. Probably a lot lower, but it makes me a little. A little worried, but at the same time, I know how good they are. Um, and you kind of have to go. And I, I really, it's just a case of getting back into actual speculation. Oh, there's only 25 foils. That's not too bad. Um, of getting back into actual speculation with Magic Finance, you know, where we, this is how we used to do it is most of the time it wasn't buying cards with almost zero stock and then waiting two weeks. It was. You know, Jason, the good one I remember is Jason Alt buying um, Dictative Erebus, buying up like a thousand count box of them at 50 cents and then waiting. And then he got paid on those. But that at the time, the inventory was very deep. So it feels like it's a little closer to that. And I'm not giving you a hard time. I'm just thinking it works a little differently on something like this. And the same thing with Ice Fan Coatle, which I picked and you and I both picked. The same thing with Goblin Engineer, which I said was probably my favorite pick from Modern Horizons right now at price point. Um, and I think this has kind of been the same boat where it's a little closer to a spec. But I think that my, everything in Modern Horizons set those, sets those up to be profitable. You can get foil unsettled mariners like under ten dollars in Europe right now. Um, I picked up some in the eleven to thirteen dollar range today. Um, I've been picking up foil goblin engineers. I've been picking up hall of heliods. All this stuff that is that is kind of tier two, tier two point five from this set, but that has a very real future. Um, you know the thing about mariner is it's changeling, and there are very few good changelings. But I wouldn't underestimate the long term. Uh, usefulness in a format like modern of a card that can be any tribe as long as it's in the right colors you know if we get a decent blue white fairies build or something that comes out of throne of eldraine then for all you know 
um, all of a sudden you're going to have a new deck that Unsettled Mariner falls into. And if it gets even one more like tier 2.5 deck in modern, it's going to show up at a lot of FNMs, those foils will drain. And it might not be this week or the next, but give it six months, I'd be surprised if there's more than 10 or 15 listings left on TCG. Well, I think that's uh, very fair, a very fair read here for sure. Um, the change lane aspect of it is probably easy. Like, you know that it's change lane, but it's sort of like it slides off your brain. Like, oh, yeah, it's a human and it's an Eldrazi and it's a Merfolk. But you're just like, yeah, I mean, it just looks like a dude. Uh, blue, white, two drops. Not the greatest track record on those for how good you want them to be. Uh, but like if it was printed just as a human, you'd be like, Oh, this is solid. Um, or if it was printed as a, you know, whatever a fairy, you'd be like, yeah, this is solid. Uh, so the change lane I think is better than instinctually we expect it to be. So the thing that got me to get, to pick up a few copies and it sounds like I'm going to be super deep on, but I like having say four to 12 copies of these foils. Um, it's played more according to the latest stats out of the Magic Online metagame, according to Goldfish. Uh, it's played more than Meddling Mage, more than Reflector Mage, more than Monastery Mentor, more than Mantis Rider, more than Champion of the Parish, and more than Thalia's Lieutenant. Because a lot of those human cards I just mentioned have kind of fallen off the map. Human's not in the greatest position right now. Um, but Mariner is still has legs outside of humans because it's not only a human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a I think it's a solid card and definitely one of the better choices from Modern Horizons right now, I think. And it's only four slots back from Goblin Engineer's position. Goblin Engineer's yes, yeah. is four percent of the of the entire meta, three copies a deck. Uh Unsettled Mariner is four percent of the meta, two point six copies. So pretty close. I definitely like Goblin Engineer more for what I believe it could do, not what it's doing. Goblin Engineer is straight up better in commander um and probably more narrow than uh mariner in modern i think that's my take okay i um, think that's because, because the chain the, the, you need another artifact deck that is not urza to expand the reach of engineer in modern um for now it's going to be tough to convince anybody to do anything with Engineer and Modern that isn't Urza because Urza is such an obvious build. Um, right. Whereas Mariner could be left at the wayside and say hardly played in blue-white Merfolk because maybe people don't play Merfolk because <laughs> it's bad. Or um, they're playing blue-green Merfolk, for instance, and Mariner's not not invited to the party. Um, but like I said, it could just all of a sudden be a blue-white fairy deck that pops up and Mariner slots, slots right in. Yes. Yeah, it definitely has the option of suddenly showing up in every tribal deck in modern, essentially, at any given time. Well, we that, can, that can support the colors. Yeah, well, right. But I mean, that's most tribal decks. Uh, they might have to twist a little bit to do it, but it's an option. Like, I don't think we're going to see it in elementals alongside skeletal or in black red goblins, naturally. Uh, yeah, I mean, probably not, but you never know. I mean, that value could, I mean, actually it's very interesting against, against the Skelemental deck, in the Skelemental deck, because, uh, those are a bunch of six ones, right? So taxing people, like they're easy to kill if you shoot at them, but taxing people trying to remove them suddenly makes the top one toughness on those a lot less of a liability. And there is a support for five color tribal decks. I mean, we know that that's the case with humans. Fortunately, I don't need to stretch that far to justify the pick. I think it's 
solid where it's at. And if people can pull that off, awesome. This is yeah. This isn't about you just fine. It's about me going. Hmm, maybe I should be playing five color elementals with uh, unsettled mariner here. Some yeah. deep tech. Some deep tech. Uh, so what? I, actually, I think I have seen an elementals deck that was running it because elementals is basically a five color deck. So, yeah. but I but I digress. Unsettled mariner foils thirteen to twenty five. I think you'll be just fine inside of here. Can't uh, can't argue too much with that. Um, so I want you guys to know that I really wanted to go pick cards based on the Stoneforge unban. Like that was my goal. And try as I did, I really just wasn't finding anything that was doing it for me. Uh, so I ended up to, like, I browsed through a bunch of lists and, you know, there was stuff like Unsettled Mariner that's pretty potent, but I just wasn't on board quite yet. So I ended up just doing EDH stuff um, this week, but it's not for lack of, of searching for some options for you. So I'm going to keep an eye on the format some more uh, and see what else kind of comes out and we can go from there. But uh, really, I, I found, well, we can talk about this in the metagame we can review. In any case, first card of the week, which I, I feel like we've talked about before, but according to Google, this card does is not listed in our spread in the current spreadsheet. So that is a lot of weeks back. That's almost a year's worth of episodes at this point. Um, so if we've talked about it, it's been quite a while. But Mimic Vats, I'm looking at foil copies out of Scars Mirrodin. Uh, Mimic Vat, as uh, you'll remember, is the three mana artifact. When a non-token creature dies, you can imprint it onto Mimic Vat, which kind of steals it. Um, and then you can make t- copies of that. It showed up most recently in this year's commander product because it makes tokens of any creature that dies. So you can use this with, um, uh, what's his name? Gurag. Uh, you know, he makes, he copies, he populates for you. So this gives you a chance to make tokens of like, I don't know, whatever dumb creatures on the battlefield, Diluvian Primordial. You can get a copy of Diluvian Primordial and then start populating that and run away with the game really quickly. Or, you know, Fage the Untouchable, whatever you think is funny. Was printed last year in Commander and this year in Commander, but of course, non-foils. So the foils that are on the market right now are about 11 bucks. Um, it's an eight and a half thousand EDH decks. So it's a pretty popular card as it is. And I do think that that eight and a half thousand is less than it should be. Um, having played with and against the card, it's very effective. It's really good at stealing things from people. You don't realize it, but you get to steal all the death triggers because you exile the card instead of it going to the graveyard. And even if there's a wrath of God, you can just stack the triggers that you just eat all of the death triggers. It's pretty obnoxious. Um, but, you know, me thinking it's good isn't going to make it better. But, again, there are 14 vendors. Uh, I am one of them on TCG Player right now with foil copies for a total of, like, 18, maybe, total. And you can get in at about 11, maybe 12 bucks. But, you know, you get halfway through the inventory and it's up to 18, um, which is, mine's at 19. Uh, and then you're out. And it's the only foil printing. Scars of Mirrodin is real old. We have a populate deck hitting, you know, it's just hitting the shelves. People are getting their hands on it. Mimic Vet is in the deck. So people, if people decide they want to start getting foil copies, it's out there. It's available. Um, you know, maybe a longtime player buys the deck, plays with it, goes, oh, man, this is awesome. I didn't realize how good this was. I'm going to go grab a foil copy. It doesn't take much to, to drain this. The only reservation I have here is that they gave it new art in Commander 2019 which gives me pause because it makes me think there might be a reprint on the horizon that would be foil. 
So that's the only caveat here. I'm not worried about a reprint, given that they just gave it to us. I think that gives you at least two years. I Yeah, probably. I guess it's just like, I'm, I was thinking, I'm like, would they give us, would they commission new art for an existing card in a commander product that they weren't planning on foiling like doing a new printing up especially one that's not like it's not like doubling season or some other chase card right like it's just it's a mimic that it's cool but it's not a huge deal so why would they commission art for that like i don't know makes me wonder yeah valid point i mean it's it's certainly possible and i think mimic that is the kind of like generally moderately powerful moderately good card that fits well um in some kind of premium product down the road as a rare um and it will crash the price at the time but i think people are going to have time here to unload i my only reservation here is i don't want to be super deep on this one like i'd be happy to have one two three foils that's about it um try to ride uh the kind of like rolling interest spike coming out of uh the late summer commander decks and then hopefully beyond every something new Yep, that's 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 my pick. That's my type of pick. <laughs> All right. What's your so, next card? My next pick is the only forecasting cost card in the top 10 most placed cards in modern post Hogak. Um, card is ridiculous in almost every format that it is viable. Um, to the point where maybe the most dangerous part of this is that it could possibly catch a ban at some point, although I suspect that one of its uh, component pieces would be more likely to go than the card itself. And of course, I'm talking about Karn the Great Creator, which I called in Japanese anime version at $20 a while back. And now I'm looking pretty uh, strongly at the just regular war edition um, because they're down to like $8.50. I don't follow the logic here. Like, yeah, we're more or less like still pretty close to peak supply for war and war was heavily opened, but this is the seventh most played card in the format and it's all over the place. And if, if you like unsettled Mariner's potential for slotting into some decks, trust me, it doesn't, it's got nothing on car and the great creator, which is colorless and just slots in everywhere because the other, one of the reasons that, that a card might get held back, of course, is that it needs some other cards to combo off or to make it worthwhile like Celestial Kieran being a good example, and you can't just stash them in your sideboard and access them with one of the activated abilities on the card. Karn's ability to stuff its package off to the side and so and allow you to use it as a kind of a separate angle of attack for your deck means it slots in just all over the place. And we're seeing that in the results. The card is so, so good. So just call this at, say, $8.50 to $9 to get to 15 inside a year for, say, a 70% plus gain seems very, very likely. And I, and I suspect that Teferi Time Raveler will end up on a list like this shortly as well for the same reasons. Um, but that, one's, that one has already taken off to 15 or 16 Doesn't make sense to me that Karn's half the price. This card is so ridiculous. Um, by the way, your, your stats for this, you've got foil from Modern Horizons right on the spreadsheet. I don't think that's accurate. But... I have looked at this card so many times uh, over the last couple weeks because it is so busted and so good. Um, and it's it's never felt... I think I said this when you picked the Japanese one too. Like the stock kind of worries me, but it it's I just keep seeing it and seeing it and seeing it. Um, and, I, and I totally am on board. If this does not get banned, it's absolutely going to be 
a real payoff here, no doubt about it. Uh, like it's the just other so t- good. The other top ten are the are the stalwarts of the format. First first most played card, Path to Exile, Lightning Bolt, Leyline of the Void, which yeah, sure it's four, but actually it's zero. Thought seized, rest in peace, two cast and cost, fatal push, Karn at seventh, then Mox Opal, Ether Vial, and Chalice of the Void. It it's so good that it made it into the top ten with four cast and cost. Yeah, I mean it's just so powerful. And I do think, by the way, sorry about the dogs here. I do think, by the way, that if uh, if anything's getting a ban, it's Mycosynthlatus, not Karn. Yeah, if it became oppressive and modern, which I don't think it will. I think it's just going to be strong. And it's and it's going to be in a similar position to the Stoneforge Mystic package, right? Like Stoneforge plus Search Up a Sword is more or less Karn, go get a Mycosynth Lattice. And both of them are um, probably narrowing the number of slots that are available in any given deck in in the format because they are so useful. And some decks are running both of those packages. And I won't be surprised at all to see one of those top eight something soon. That that I wonder if that's where you're actually supposed to go with Stoneforge Mystic, is you just let Stoneforge run interference for your Mycosynth, you know, your Karn Mycosynth Lattice Lock, and they're trying to put up with your Batter Skull uh, while you are moving towards playing Karn and just locking them out. Yeah, you play your Stone, you play your Giver of Runes, they kill that. You play your Stoneforge, they kill that, but you've got your Batter Skull, you play that, they deal with it, then you drop Karn and it's over because they've got nothing left. Yeah, it seems uh, seems pretty tasty. There's so there's so many ways to build decks now that you have those packages available to you that you can wrap into greater shells. It, I think it is taking decks away from a linear formula that was starting to become a concern in the format, especially since they've been getting rid of Faithless Looting and Hogak, gets rid of some of the faster decks in the format, and gets rid of some consistency um, vis-a-vis the, the banning of Faithless Looting. Um so it's giving people a little bit more time to, you know, dick around in the mid-range room. Yes, yeah, which is the, definitely a huge change uh, with the Banning Hogak is there's so much more room to dirtle with this type of stuff. But, man, if you let people goof around for a while with it, they will uh, they'll show you the door real fast. So Karn is a card, like, you talked about the um, inventory, and that's that's for real. Like this is not at a tipping point to non foil. There's plenty of copies available um, in the, you know, nine to $11 range, almost no matter where you're getting them. So you can pick your entry here, but I think that a year from now, if you're not holding some, you're going to miss out. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally agree with that. And I don't have any at the moment and I want to buy some and it's just going to be a game of chicken of when do I, when do I do it? You know? All right, so my second card this week, still on the uh, still on the EDH train, is Urza's Incubator. Um, non foils. Uh, we've got a couple printings on this one too. Um, it was in Commander. It was in Urza's Destiny. Then Commander 2015. Then the Commander Anthology Volume Two, which I think was this year, maybe last year. Non foils are about eleven, maybe twelve dollars, depending on which copy you grab. Um, supply is low. It's an, it's an eight and a half thousand decks as well. Uh, pretty much the same numbers as mimic Vat. Um, this has get, been printed twice recently and it's still, still at 12 or $13, which to me is pretty telling. Um, because you generally don't see a card with as many copies of this in non foil, uh, holding a $13 price tag. There is some serious demand here. 
Um, and I think this kind of sheds a little bit of light on the silent majority here because there's a good chunk of these out in the wild and it's still that price. Um, and the EDH number is solid. Eight and a half thousand is solid, but it's not 30,000 like a lot of artifacts are. So how is a card with like middle of the road EDH numbers and three printings? Um, granted, none of them are huge printings, but still three printings holding a price tag that high. I think there's just a lot of people, a lot of kitchen table players buying this card um, because it, they don't care that it's expensive. It's got cool text for their fun tribal deck. Uh, supply is low across all three copies. You're looking at somewhere between like maybe 10-ish, 10 to 15 copies per each of the three printings, but that's not that many. And the price has just been ramping up over the last couple months. Uh, I think, you know, this was at one point a $20 card. I think it's headed back there. I think it's headed past $20. And I think if it doesn't show up in another commander deck, probably by the end of next year, you're looking at maybe 25, um, maybe even 30. It is a very potent card. Um, especially with Morophon out there, um, who has not been in like the top 10 commanders every week, but he has been hanging around in like the top 15. And Morophon reduces the price of your car creatures by colored mana symbols, and Urza's Incubator is the other half of that. So with Morophon and Urza's Incubator in play, now your spells really are all free. Yeah. And it's about the like breadth of application. In the same way that Morophon is just hanging out there ready to jump in to like support whatever tribe you want him to from here to eternity now. Um, Urza's Incubator is just sitting there waiting for you to do your tribal thing. And you hit nail on head, right? Like, yes, three printings, but none of them were standard. Well, the first one was, but we're talking standard 20 years ago. You know, that was an Urza's block card. So the next two printings were in limited releases at a certain point in the year. And because it's, you know, something with the word Urza in it is unlikely to show up in standard anytime soon. Um, unless they do like, I've always wanted them to do like an adventures of Urza. Like just forget about the current timeline, go way back and just e explore some stuff that ridiculously powerful planeswalker did back in the olden days. That'd be fun, but I don't see them making that a priority at all. So this card could just, you know, like you said, hang out every three or four years, show up in a commander deck, and maybe if we get a commander masters type product, it could show up there. But outside of that, not worried about a reprint. They kind of did that with Modern Horizons, right? Like we got the Urza from before he was Urza, sort of. Yep. Um, so they might go down that route, but they would have to dial it way back to get to where Urza was just a dude. But the problem is everything from that era was supposed to be really, really powerful, right? Like, Talarian and all that type of stuff. So Yard it almost yeah, Necrophobia it almost feels shit. like they uh, they want rather than make those remake those cards in a power level appropriate for standard, they might want to just let them be awesome big cards that they roll out every now and then. Every few years, we get you know a revisit to old stuff and kind of preserves their brand a little bit, if that makes sense. All right. I like Incubator. I've made money on it in the past. I'm sure I will again. Um, <laughs> my final pick of the week is another white foil rare from MH1. This time, Winds of Abandon is my target. I see this as being not very far off Cyclonic Rift. Um, six clears the table in your favor. Um, and yeah, they get a bunch of lands, but you just cleared the table. Um, and it was exiled, not destroyed. So it's also seeing... So it's top 12... 
Modern Horizons cards in EDH, which is saying something for that set because the power level was so high and it includes two color talismans that were necessary, which dominate uh, most of the top slots um, alongside things like Prismatic Vista, Generous Gift, Spring Bloom Druid, uh, Hall of Heliod's Generosity has now slipped into seventh place under underscoring that earlier pick of mine. Um, I almost picked Tribute Mage this week because it's uh, at a higher slot than Winds of Abandoned, but it's also an uncommon. So instead, I went with Winds because it's definitely one of the cheaper foils and follows that model I was talking about, trying to get these foil rares at 10 bucks. I think you can go from 10 to 18 here inside a year uh, for, say, plus 5 or $6 after fees, and that's a totally fine play as far as I'm concerned. Sure. I'm I'm on board. It's a, you know more Modern Horizons rares. I kind of spoken you know my piece about them, but I think it's uh, a potent card. I mean, it's a lot of play, and EDH is really good for these, and uh, that could build over time, which is quite significant. And then on top of that, if you're getting some modern action out of it too, that's uh, that's a good place to be for for your outlook. Um, you know, especially if it earns its slot as the uh cyclonic rift second cyclonic rift cyclonic rift replacement type effect that's uh that's real good that's real good what is your favorite pick out of these five this week Uh, i think these are all solid none of them are screaming at me i think it's karn yeah that's kind of what i was gonna say too that's that was the one my eyes were rusting on as I was thinking about it. It's it's one of it, it. It's not a huge rush as we said, so it's not the one with the greatest impetus to to attack it. Um, but don't think you you want to miss that one in your portfolio, and it's just a question of when you want to. I think dollar cost averaging under ten is just a lock. <laughs> and if it's it, and if you can still get them at eight fifty in three months, good on you. Get some more. It just seems like it'll be so hard to miss with that. Like we know, we know that card will be expensive. We know that it will be valuable. It's just a question of when. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the metagame we can review. Last week we were bemoaning um, not having enough data coming out of the Hogak ban. This week we are flooded with data. Tons of stuff going on. Um, we had a bunch of good uh, early tournaments for Modern last weekend. That included the SCG Open was Modern. They ran an SCG Classic the same weekend. There was uh, the MTGO Modern MCQ went down this weekend with 400 players in it. And we can take a look at, uh, based on 5 lists and so forth, what the MTGO meta is shaping up to be um, like. So I guess let's kick off with taking a look at what happened at the Open. Um, the big story there was three burn decks in the top eight and in the hands of some pretty talented dudes, uh, Dylan Donegan, Collins Mullen, and Zan Saeed all took a very similar burn deck to the top eight. I guess they were looking to capitalize on people messing around with mid-range, just looking to set the clock um, on burn schedule apps and Hogak. Yeah, it was definitely a, a statement from... <laughs> From all these guys, like, oh, yeah, Stone Forge Mystic's legal, huh? Interesting. How about uh, Goblin Guide? Is it still legal? Eat it. Like, <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. had they had a strategy, uh, and I think it was obviously, I mean, given that there was like three of them in the top eight, clearly it was a good strategy. And, and I think the thing here is that this burn deck isn't going anywhere. Nothing's ever going to get banned out of this deck. It will occasionally get a slightly better piece. So in the last year, for instance, they've picked up 
Sunbaked Canyon as a four of and a single copy of Fiery Islet. Sunbaked Canyon is still my pick for the most likely to uh, generate ROI fastest out of the foundry, out of those lands because uh, so many decks are running it as a four of in modern. Um, they've also picked up Skewer the Critics um, in the last year, which gives them uh, the ability to basically cast additional uh, bolts quickly, right? Um, and that's about it. I guess they've got two Seasoned Pyromancer in the sideboard. But what this deck does is just set a clock. I'm going to kill you on average turn three, turn four. So whatever you're doing, you better do it fast. And I'm mm-hmm. not Hogak. I'm not going to kill you on turn two. So I'm never getting banned. I'm just setting a, a consistent, reliable clock. And a good player that is familiar with the deck is going to exercise that game plan. And they now have access to the London Mulligan rule to sculpt that hand. So they don't need all seven spells to kill you often. So they get a little... Sure, your combo deck's a little <laughs> more consistent too. But, but their burn deck is going to have <laughs> the preponderance of burn spells necessary to kill. And they're going to... Well, actually, the- it's... It's funny you say that because I think the London Mulligan rule is actually the most irrelevant for burn because burn all the uh, ideal state is that burns cards are interchangeable and none of them are better than others. Uh, And it's just I don't I don't ever have to mulligan unless I don't have lands or spells because all of my cards do the same thing. Well, it's more like it's it's more that if burn draws five lands and two burn spells, they get to throw that back and, and get six relevant spells. Yes, yes. I mean, it doesn't hurt them. I do think overall the London Mulligan rule is better for the other decks, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so, yeah, big big weekend for Burn. Uh, my takeaway from all this, though, was that Stoneforge had a really bad weekend, right? Like, we saw no, very little meaningful Stoneforge out in force here, at least in the open. Well, in the top eight. So first place yes. was four color Wurza. So this reinforces in the, the guys my, that did well. <laughs> this, this this re well the thing is though that the cutoff into top eight was really tight on this particular tournament. So arguments can be made that the top sixteen is is still very relevant um, for this tournament in particular. The you know the picks of Foil Worm Invention earlier this year, Foil Arkham's Astrolab, and Goblin Engineers all looking pretty good with Urza. Uh, Seeming to be a t- tier one deck. Urza was top eighting in the presence of Hogak. It is top eighting and winning tournaments after Hogak. It's the real deal. Urza is going to end up as expensive as Renin Six. There's yeah, zero th- reason that wouldn't be the case. I think my actual favorite pick is uh, Urza. Like the the car, like, and I didn't pick it because it's already in one of my. It was in one of my articles, but I think that's the actual correct pick. The thing is that Urza's price, is, price tag is already so high that it doesn't have the ROI potential of, say, Karn. Uh, Urza is the most, might be the most likely to appreciate in value, but not at the same rate because its price has already accelerated quite a bit. So for Urza to get from, say, 50 to 100 is at best a double up. And I think you can do better in, in other places faster. Is, but, he, is he a 50 right now? I didn't actually look. I thought it was like 35. If there are copies, after all this action. If there's copies of Urza sitting around right now at 35, then I might agree. 38. 38 on TCG player. So yeah, if you, if you think it's going to go 40 to 80, then that might be a double up too. So I mean, maybe Urza's on our list next week. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I He was in my article on Monday of last week, which is why I didn't write about him this week. <laughs> That's right. really what it comes down to. So third place, we had Grix's Death Shadow in pretty much the same configuration it was a year and a half ago. 
This is Gurmag Anglers, Jasper's Prodigy, Snapcaster, Street Wraith, Dismember, Fatal Push, all the usual stuff. This is Teamer Battle Rage, Mishra's Bobble, etc. Deck is back on the landscape. Looks solid. We also had uh, Ross Merriam uh, running Titan Shift. Uh, his read on the format obviously being that he could go over the top with Primeval Titan and just get in there. Um, and this this runs a mixed package of Primeval Titan-related cards from a variety of shells. So there's the Valakit package, you've got Scape Shifts, you've got Summoner's Packs, you've got Calumny Heart Expeditions and Prismatic Omens. There's a Chandra Torch of Defiance in this list. It's interesting. Like, we've seen many iterations on this theme. Yeah, and this is kind of what I was talking about when I was saying I just wanted to find something, but I couldn't find the angle. Is everything seemed... You know, we got a bunch of cool-looking decks and cards and everything, but, like, nothing was really that new to me. I'm like, I just, I don't know. Like, what am I supposed to pick out of Amulet Titan for you, right? Like, we know what Amulet Titan does. It had a good week. What am I supposed to pick out of, uh, you know, the four-color Urza? Like, I've already picked Astrolabe. I already picked Urza. Like, I just don't know where else to tell you to go from here. So none of these were doing anything new. And Engineer. And in Titan Shift, we picked Foil Scape Shifts on time uh, this summer. So the... In Mono Green Tron, which was in the seventh place list, you've got the four Karn Great Creators. Um, and then Rakdos Midrange was an eighth in that in the open, uh, which was very interesting. This is probably the most interesting deck in the list. Three yeah, Bedlam Re- Reveler, four Dreadhorde Arcanus, two Hazard the Fervent, um, a former uh, standard Redburn uh, Dominator. Four Season Pyromancer in this list. That makes me feel good about holding a bunch of those. Um, and then Fatal Pushes, Inquisitions, Culligan's Command, which of course is the anti-SFM tech in the format right now. Um, Lightning Axe, Lightning Bolt, Thoughtseize, Blood Moon, and then here's a nice one, Chandra Acolyte of Flame out of the core set this summer. Um, and three Liliana of the Veil to wrap things up there. The, some of those, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff there for sure. Um, the Rakdos Midrange, I agree, was the most interesting card that we saw come out of this. And that could lead to something um but although i you know it's that feels very like those card choices are so odd like why would you not just be playing jund or elementals you know the kind of the grixis elementals i don't know um the the other fun one here was the orzov smallpox right there on the edge at ninth which was smallpox plus stoneforge that's fun that's a fun deck um and an interesting to see there and that's kind of the most successful stoneforge deck of the the open here um Mm-mm. the azorius control decks that finished ninth and tenth are both stoneforge decks are you are you looking at the classic nope i'm looking at the open uh ninth place was orzov smallpox that's what i just said mm, nope i see ninth and tenth is azorius control pete ingram and jacob norden Okay, I'm looking at the Dallas Open. Which one are you looking at? Uh, yeah, Dallas Open. Dallas Open, ninth place, Jacob Hagen. Tenth place is always controlled, Jacob Norton. Are you on the Star City page? Yeah. I'm on MTG Top 8. Ah, technically, according to Star City, ninth place, Jacob Hagen, always have small box. I, I think Star City's actually might be wrong, but... Oh. <laughs> I, either way, it doesn't really matter, because top six, no. the, the ninth through 16th are essentially all the same thing. They're the people that just missed on Breakers. Yes. Um, so there's actually three, but the core point here is there are three uh, Stoneforge Mystics decks, four copies in the top 16. 
Um, yes. The, the smallpox deck and both of the Zorius controls. And that blue-white list looks very tight. This is, to me, this is a deck we're going to see over and over and over again. This, this is, is Norden's deck? Yeah, and it's I, I, and I think like very minor variations on the shell is what we're going to see all over the place, depending on what else is, is dominating in the meta. But this is Snapcaster Mages, Stoneforge Mystic, a Vendelian Click, two Cryptic, a Dovin's Veto, three Force of Negation, upgrades to the counter magic package this year, Logic Knot, Mana Leak, four Opt, the best they can do for their one mana cantrip these days, four Path to Exile, two Smell Snare, two Supreme Verdict, Stalwarts, a Batter Skull for the Stoneforge Mystics to go find, Detention Sphere, two Jace the Mind Sculptor, the Sword of Feast and Famine that you would expect to see there. Um, and then two, one Teferi Hero of Dominaria and two Teferi Time Raveler. That is a very high average power level amongst those cards. Oh, for sure. I mean, every single one of these is just absurdly good, right? This, this is everything blue-white control players have wanted to have on hand and didn't have access to until now for the last five years. <laughs> it is it is a good-looking list, buddy. Because these the two Teferis they, they got this year are in the last year are really strong and have new angles they got stoneforge mystic back they have dovin's veto that can't be countered and they've got force negation that can counter without mana up they got a prismatic vista that helps smooth their mana base a bit they got field of ruin out of ixalan like this this deck has been getting better piece by piece and it is very strong this is probably the best blue white control has ever been in modern oh yeah yeah i think that's almost Hard to argue otherwise at this point. Um, it is just doing... It, th- that's a lot of good cards. It's a lot of cards you want to play. Now, there was also a Gift Storm, another Burn, a Jund build, uh, and Devoted Devastation. Top 16 to there. This also ran uh, four Stoneforge Mystic and four Giver of Runes. That, I think you're going to see those two holding hands for in a bunch of different shells. And then they get to lean on Eladomri's Call and four Finale of Devastation, which are also picks of mine from earlier this summer, um, mm-hmm. to go get their toolbox cards and either combo off or just keep wrecking you with value, depending on what board state they're in. Yep. I remember uh, we were both looking at uh, the Devastation, the Finale of Devastation, um, especially since it seems so much better positioned in EDH. Um, well, it means it's in this band. Uh, and it looks pretty good in EDH because it fetches creatures of any color. Uh, you know, my takeaway here is that Urza is probably the the the, the four color Urza. There is probably kind of the deck to beat right now, and is likely the best position deck in the metagame. And that no one has figured out Stoneforge at all. Um, it might be good historically. Cards that get unbanned in modern aren't. Um, but we definitely know that no one has cracked the case yet. I, I think you mean nobody has settled on which deck best optimizes usage of stoneforge i think uh, i think its power level is established here because it it is top eighting across the board all over the place i i'm not willing to give it that okay i am not willing to give it that stoneforge is good enough i think maybe maybe i mean like a lot of people are going to try it out right now uh so you're going to see a lot of people show up with it they're just going to shove it in any deck they can um but it may turn out to be, I'm not saying you won't see it at all, but it may end up being like, you know, 2% of the metagame type of thing. I mean, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. So so let's go over and take a look at the modern metagame according to MTG Goldfish, which of course is derived from data coming, flowing out of uh, Magic Online. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Burn is taking the top slot in the metagame post-Hogak, where Hogak used to live. Burn is on top. 5% plus of the metagame. Um, yeah. And one of the things that's going to keep it there, or keep it in the top three, I think, is its price. $568 to build a burn deck versus second place Jund at $1,700 US dollars. Um, mm-hmm. you got to have multiple Liliana the Veils, multiple Renin Sixes. And one of the things about uh, Magic Online right now is that the Modern Horizons cards are not available in treasure chests. So something like 50% or 60% of the most expensive cards in Magic Online are out of that set. Um, and I'm not really in that scene anymore, but there was a lot of money to be made getting in early on Modern Horizons singles on Magic Online. You'd be doing very, very well within three months. Um, uh, because if you're just trying to win games, Burn can do that right now, and it can do it more cheaply. So your overall EV is just strictly better if you're not already holding one of the other decks. Um, so you got Burn and Jund, Eldrazi Tron in various incarnations, um, taking up 3.5% of the meta or so. Urza at about 3.5, about equal. So definitely in the top five there. And then Azorius Control in fifth place at just about the same percentage of the meta. And Eldrazi Tron's still under 1000 bucks, but both Urza and Azorius Control are about fourteen or 1500 depending on how you build it. And then there's another 3% for green or green-black Tron. Uh, so 6% total, really. And if you combine those two versions of Tron, then you could argue that Tron decks are actually dominating the meta right now. Um, but nothing is over that percentage. We're not seeing a 10 15% like we did for Hogak. So it looks healthier. Also, some interesting decks behind there. Mardu's Death Shadow with, with Ranger Captain of Eos uh, into Death Shadows at about 2.5% of the meta. Humans still hanging around in that meta, I suspect, because a lot of people still have the deck, not because it's particularly great right now. And then you got Amulet Titan, Grixis Death Shadow, Hardened Scales, Affinity, and Affinity um, pulling up the rear. So a lot of solid, interesting, non-combo-oriented decks dominating the scene right now. Uh, yes, it's very fair, very, m- mostly very fair aside. You know, if, I don't know if you want to count Tron as being a fair deck or not. Um but yeah, it looks like a great format right now, and I'm 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 hoping that it that it stays this way. It, you know, I think it's uh, honestly aside from Hogak, which clearly needed to go. I think the majority of this is just that they tossed Faithless Looting. I think you can attribute eighty percent of this to just Faithless Looting being banned. Well, and Hogak naturally. Well, yeah, but like that was just beside the point. Like if they had banned Hogak, I think this would still look pretty degenerate. But lot, there'd be a Faithless- lot more. There'd be a lot more Arclight Phoenix. That's for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. With Faithful Suiting Gone, it really lets you cast spells that cost three and four mana. Uh, you know, you haven't lost a game by the time you've gotten to that point necessarily. Well, and it looks like it looks like Phoenix is now waiting a piece. <laughs> like I, I wouldn't count Phoenix out for the long haul. It only needs like one thing, maybe one or two spells to show up to turn that deck back on. Um hopefully a faith a slightly worse faithless looting could probably get it there and i suspect that they will print that card like i don't think they want to be done with that effect they just want it costed properly um so like careful study has been proposed as a reprint for like modern horizons 2 by some people Mm -hmm. um debatable whether that's good not good enough or too good um over in the mtgo modern mcq which had four players it was valakut urza uh blue white x mid-range which was another stoneforge mystic deck 
blue-white control, Dredge, Jund, Death Shadow, and Urza. The blue-white X midrange probably being the most uh, interesting one there because it was elements from blue-white control, but with way more creatures. So two Geist of St. Traff, three Giver of Runes, two Restoration Angel, four Snapcaster Mage, four Spell Queller, and four Stoneforge Mystic. Um, with two Teferi Time Raveler, and then Lightning Bolt, Lightning Helix, two Opt, Path to Exile, and Spell Pierce. Yeah, I, I the Geist of St. Traft is definitely coming from the Return of Stoneforge, of course. Um, a, a pretty solid equipment holder. I, I want to caution people against that one. That one probably looks like a tempting target. Uh, at least it has for me in the past, but I think that that's I don't think that that's the way to go here. Uh, it's been a long time since that card has looked good enough uh, and don't get caught up on that one. One of the other questions that in my mind still needs to be resolved is whether it's Stoneforge or Engineer that wants to be in the Urza package. At the open, both of the Urza decks in the top eight uh, were, or in the top 16 were running Engineer. And the modern MCQ on Magic Online, it was the opposite. They weren't running Engineer at all and they were both running for Stoneforge Mystic. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would imagine it'll depend a bit on the metagame. They they do pr- they do different things, though, right? Like, I see Goblin Engineer as being much more of a combo-y piece, uh, much more about trying to assemble an engine, whereas Stoneforge is about trying to do battle, win games of attrition, set up for some control element later in the game. I think they just fill different roles in the strategy. Well, they do have now, some... Op- and then it'll just be a question of which one's good, which strategy's better. Yeah, I mean, they do have some overlap because of Sword of the Meek being an equipment, right? Um, yeah. So that's that's why it was, you know, considered at all. Um, but I think this is this is still waiting to be played out because I, I pros seem split on which is the correct build. And it will matter um, because if it's not Engineer, then Engineer could be on the back burner for quite some time. I agree. And part of the reason that I've talked favorably about engineer in the past, and I think I said this before, is it's not necessarily what engineer is doing today. It's I like the text on engineer. I think engineer looks good for the future. Um, It's going to be in conversation all the time. uh, And that's what I find appealing. All right, let's seg on over into segment four topic of the week. We've got some juicy uh, Throne of Eldraine spoilers that popped up today on the interwebs. Um, heading into a relatively big reveal day, I think, tomorrow on Twitch, where they're going to show us a whole bunch of stuff from the set and probably walk us through. I think it. I think there are 12... I want to say there must be 12 uh, cards being revealed in the next 24 hours, given the countdown that showed up on Twitter this afternoon. And so far, we've seen three of them as of the, the timing of this cast. So the first one that popped up was the aforementioned Sexy Faye, um, Oko Thief of Crowns, is uh, looking pretty ripped. Oko, Thief of Crowns. One green, blue. Four loyalty. Here's the most interesting part of this card. Plus two, create a food token. Thoughts? Uh, so, I'm inclined to not... My initial reaction was, why would you put a token on here that we don't know what it does? Like, that seems like bad design. But, but, I like, I don't want, I don't need it to be, I don't need planeswalkers to be full of rules text. Like, your commons should have rules text on them. Like, they should always explain what a food token is, but it's fine if your mythic planeswalkers don't. Uh, Because that's, you know, as they say on the as fan 
there, it's rare enough that you should encounter the rule text for that elsewhere, and they're clearly just setting this up as a plant for us. Um, I'm guessing it's something similar to uh, treasure tokens, which are what well, the treasure tokens are sack for a mana. I'm guessing these might be sack for two life is my bat um, and possibly and then I would guess there are other it's because a plus two gain two life seems fine on him. Uh, very that, That's kind of green. Um, and then if you figure the second ability is kind of blue, it just turns something into a three, three, which we've seen with like Pongify and that type of effect. Uh, and then there are probably other cards in Throne of Eldraine that eat food tokens, right? Like, you know, play this creature when it comes into play, you can sacrifice three food tokens. If you do, it's, you know, bigger and badder. Yeah, I have two possible takes. One is related to what you just said, that food tokens don't do anything unto themselves, but cards interact with them for benefit. So clue tokens drew, drew cards if you pay it two. Uh, treasure tokens are lotus petals. Um, food token could just say food token, and it's just a picture of like the gingerbread man's missing leg or whatever. And then it's a super cute, cute setup joke for the set. And you get a cool token out of it. And then you can just build a bunch of cards that care about this token type without it actually doing anything else. The other the other option I was considering was that these are plus one plus one counter tokens. So mm. they're, they feed your, your creatures. And, yeah. and the reason that they're tokens and not counters is that you can delay their use. Yeah, oh yeah, I can see that sacrifice a food token, put a one one counter on target creature you control. Correct. Yeah, I think that's very viable. Um, I don't think that they're generic tokens. I think they had a lot of success with um, treasure tokens, which do something, and they had a lot of success with. Uh, uh, no, hold on. The treasure tokens and the clue, clue tokens, tokens. I think both had a lot of success. So I would imagine they'll do something similar to that. And, uh, and they don't here. and Mero's been clear that he doesn't like stuff that is uh, self-referential that only works within its own set. And if the food tokens require food like food matters cards, then you have that problem that develops. Yeah, um, I mean, it makes Oko completely useless down the road unless you specifically well, in, have out in like commander and so forth. Not not yeah. completely useless. These other two abilities are actually still pretty sexy for the long term. But um I my money is on the plus one plus one thing because it is probably the most repeated theme in all of Magic. Um, I think. Uh, pretty hmm. sure there's at least six or seven mechanics that have leaned on it, and it's not going to go away anytime soon. <laughs> and it sounds very green. And, and, and this and this green. this card slot. If that's true, this card slots right into attracts a token uh, attracts a counters, um, and will be in high demand down the road. Um, not the least reason of which is that his this is just an extremely flexible planeswalker for the ca- for the casual EDH market long term, because the food tokens presumably do something cool. Target artifact the plus one is target artifact or creature loses all abilities and becomes a green elk creature with base power and toughness three three. So that's the pongify effect that you mentioned that can get rid of a nasty commander. It can get rid of all sorts of different problems. It can get rid of an artifact. Um, that is causing trouble on the board, but is not a creature. Um, it's just great because Generous Gift is the second most played Modern Horizons card after Prismatic Vista for EDH, and that's the basically the same ability. Get rid of something very bad and turn it into a 3-3. Three, three. 
Um, so we know that this is going to be popular and have legs. And then the minus five is exchange control of target artifact or creature you control and target creature and opponent controls with power three or less. So this lets you steal commanders left, right, and center um, on the second activation as long as their power is the correct number. Yep. Yeah. So you're not, you don't get to just flat out steal people's commanders because uh, they're probably, their power is probably too high. You have uh, to turn. But- but keep in mind, to get to the minus five, you had to plus one. And well, yeah. Pl- so, yeah, you, that's where I was. If you plus one, you turn the commander into the three, three, then you steal it the next turn. Yeah, so that's where I was going with this. Uh, but the middle ability lets you turn it into a three, three. However, if you do that, you no longer can use the commander's ability. It's still an elk. Um, so at the very least, you get to, you probably don't get to take the commander and do what the commander wants to do, but you can blank their commander and then steal the creature uh and just make it sit there on your battlefield and do nothing so which is uh useful i think we can agree this is a strong card um and it's likely that they have built a bunch of themes around it that are going to make it even better like i could see this being a standard card i i haven't yet wrapped my head around whether there are interesting applications in modern but it's got enough weird text on it that there might be um but it's certainly a strong commander card and given it's, that given that we are getting a masterpiece version of this in the collector boosters we've ordered, um, and they showed us what that looks like today, and it looks good, uh, I would expect those to be pretty pricey about a year out. It's a fascinating card um, in what it does. My first thought when I looked at it was, oh, so you can play Astrolabe early, like turn one, cycle, fixes your mana through turn three, and then you use it to you know filter mana to get oko into play and then you immediately turn your astrolabe into a three three so he's at five loyalty and now you have the three three to block for him uh which is a nifty play or you can you know turn to play a decent creature in standard something with a good come to play effect like a satyr wayfinder type card and then so now you have the satyr wayfinder and you have a five loyalty oko and then um or you Play the State of Wayfinder on turn two, do whatever it wants. Then on turn three, you play Oko plus him. Now you have your 3-3 Sater Wayfinder and you have a five loyalty Planeswalker that could start stealing decent creatures. So he definitely seems viable. I, I guess a lot of it will probably depend on how much the food token does um, and how many viable creatures are worth stealing with power three or less. Um, and if there's just nothing, but usually there's going to be something decent. Like that, that should be potent enough. Well, the thing is that if, if, if I'm right about the food tokens and they're plus one, plus one counters, a board full of those things just wrecks everybody in combat because you don't, you don't ever actually have to use them because they're not going to want to call that bluff. <laughs> they, they don't want you to put five of them on a creature. They, they just will take the damage. And you just sit on those tokens. It does make very obnoxious. Very nasty. Um, so I'm, I'm really impressed with the design on this card. Whoever designed this, like Chef's Kiss... It is not easy to make an interesting, fresh Planeswalker, and I think this is as close as we've had in a while. Okay, okay. I think it's kind of cool. Um, hope I'm looking forward to seeing what the food tokens do. Uh, yep. Hopefully it's something useful. Uh, what do you think of, uh, now that we've seen it, the adventures here? Because we at the time of recording, we have seen two adventure cards, Flaxen Intruder and Love Struck Beast. Um, we saw them in their, you know, pseudo masterpiece frame, but we don't actually know how the, how they work. We don't know the mechanics of the card. We have a couple guesses here. So given Flax and Intruder, green for a one, two, 
And when it deals combat damage to a player, you may sacrifice it whenever you do destroy target artifact or enchantment. So right off the bat, we have a 1-2 that can naturalize if it hits. Then it's got this weird box in the bottom left corner that says, Welcome home, five green green, sorcery adventure. So it's got a, it's a subtype of sorcery. Create three 2-2 green bear creature tokens. So... There was some debate as to whether this was something that you, a creature you cast that then has an onboard ability, or it was a split card, or it was something that maybe you could play um, out of the graveyard. But now that I've seen the second card, Lovestruck Beast, I feel pretty certain this is just creatures you cast, they have onboard abilities, and those ability, abilities count as sorceries. So that for something like Young Pyromancer, you're getting an activation off a creature would put a token into play, for instance. It would also trigger Monastery Mentor and other things of that sort that care about uh, instants and sorceries being cast. And maybe, for all we know, there are instant adventures as well, but I suspect maybe it's just sorceries. Um, let's take a closer look at Lovestruck Beast. This is two and a green for a 5-5, five five, but it can't attack unless you control a 1-1 one one creature. And then its sorcery adventure is Heart's Desire, green, create a 1-1 white human creature token. So this is basically Beauty and the Beast. Um, Putting aside the very problematic Stockholm Syndrome (laughs) nature of this fairy tale and all of the politics around that, which I would call into question uh, about reinforcing on this card, um, it's a 5-5 for 3, and you get to start using it if you pay another green. So if you pay 4, you get a 5-5 and a 1-1. And that seems about right for nailing theme and play pattern in a way that makes sense. Yeah, I'm pretty much there. I I disagree a little bit. And I'm realizing as we're talking about that this is this could all be pointless because by the time we get this edited and posted, people might know how it works and not care about this. But when I read Flaxen Intruder, I was like, okay, this must it's probably a flashback. Like it's a creature with a flashback spell because the if it's a flashback spell, you want the card in your graveyard, and then the Flaxen Intruder gave you a way to put it in your graveyard, so it's kind of like that synergy. But then we got Lovestruck Beast and threw that right out the window, because Lovestruck Beast doesn't even work until you have the the spell in play. So that still could be what it is, uh, but I, it seems a little less likely. I don't think I don't think they're just a straight you can just cast a sorcery at no cost, like other than the mana cost. It seems probably too good. Like being able to play, if you play Lovestruck Beast on six, you can pay three to put a five, five in the play and then just tap your other three mana and get three more one ones. Oh, like, no, no, it just no. Seems- oh, no, no. Sorry. I, I wasn't clear. You don't get to do it over and over again. Um, we've known for a while that whatever these adventures turned out to be, they can't. there was going to be a token, like the brick token that was used in Amon oh. that was going to go on the card and represent that you used it. So my guess is that the adventures can only be used once, and then you have to denote on the card that you've done that. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, if that's the case, this definitely makes a lot more <laughs> Cause, sense. Because otherwise, Lovestruck Beast is a sexual predator who is continuously kidnapping young girls. <laughs> Well, this card right. is this card is problematic up the yin yang. You've got flavor on the first pass, and then just gets out of control in the second pass. Yeah, um, it's so there. There might be. I wouldn't be surprised to see that you had to tap these. Um, like not having to tap them to use it seems like it might be too good. 
It, it, uh, it doesn't make sense, right? If, if they wanted us to tap it, there'd be a tap symbol. This is a sorcery. So it's an ability you activate at sorcery speed. You get the 1-1 human, and you paid 4, you got a 1-1 and a 5-5. That's on curve for green these days. Yeah, but like, so... But like, what's the flavor of it being an adventure? Like, it seems so, like the creature the creature should have to go on the adventure. They and do. I would expect. So, so but, but I would expect them to denote that by tapping. Okay, so yeah, I, I follow you, but I, they didn't do it. So I think that let's go back to Goldilocks, right? Flax and Intruder. You're putting for one, you get a one two, and then she goes around wrecking stuff. That's the whole. If she deals combat damage, you can sack her, and she destroys target artifact or enchantment. And the sort, the adventure she goes on involves wrecking stuff in the bear's house. In which case, if you she goes on that adventure, you pay seven for it, and you get three bear tokens that come into play. Yeah, I mean that makes sense to me. I'm just saying, like, it seems weird that you could. It, my initial, if you had, the, if I had to put money on it, I would say you have to tap the creature to cast the adventure. That's it. That's the sum total of my read on that. I could be wrong. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I'm pretty sure I've got it. Like I think I think it's just a sorcery speed ability. You get to do it once, and we're supposed to denote it with some special token thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of falling back on the the abilities that we see are never as good as you want them to be. Like they're usually worse than they seem like they should be. If that makes sense. Uh, this is this is basically worse than you want them. This to be, is I basically say. overload for creatures, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, so far they might, I'm guessing the good ones, like I'm guessing we'll have like two good ones and one of them will just be a really competitive rate that makes an additional body, but then you'll have like another one that does something completely different. Like they might've just showed us the two, two pretty basic ones that just make extra creatures, but there's no, the only limit to what they could print on this adventure is how much text they can fit in the box so you could put all sorts of wacky stuff on this i mean there could be one with a time walk right like that's feasible yeah this isn't jumping out like love struck beast doesn't have trample or anything so i i I was starting to think like it wants a one one in play which could be bitter blossom in modern but then you're just playing a five five for three that's just not on rate for modern these days that's not on barely on rate for standard yeah so We'll see how this plays out. The um, We're going to get a whole bunch more cards by the time you guys uh, manage to hear this. So this will be out of date. So we may as well move on. The uh, There is another rumor that we heard, which is that um, the collector boosters, which are basically premium versions of these cards, including versions that we saw um, uh, of Flax and Intruder, etc., are going to be in collector booster boxes. But the rumor is that there's going to be a Mythic Edition as well. Um, that it's going to be renamed as something else, and it's going to come out probably like I would guess early mid November ish. Maybe ordered online via online lottery, though nobody really seems to know for sure whether that's the deal. Um, to try to fix how things went down with the Mythic Edition earlier this year. Um, well, we basically have confirmation of this, by the way, because I don't on the Mythic spoiler page. We have the pack copy of Oko Thief of Crowns. But if you dig through Twitter, no, no, no. the initial reveal, he was in like the Mythic Edition frame. No, 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 no. He, that, that's the weird part. That's not what's going to be in the Mythic Edition. Because we already know that the collector boosters have that version. 
that all of the planeswalkers that are in Throne of Eldrain show up in the collector boosters with full, with borderless art. So that's the version we saw today. Um, people would assume that would be in the Mythic Edition, but I actually think that the stuff that's going to be in the Mythic Edition is the other rumor we heard earlier this summer that never came to fruition, which was Cryptic Command, Rafik of the Many, Sarah Angel, and other Bant stuff. So I think that the the Mythic Edi- the Deluxe Edition is one of the names floating around out there. So if Mythic Edition, Deluxe Edition, whatever it's going to be called, is going to be 24 packs of Throne of Eldraine and then eight masterpieces, they are probably cards not in Throne of Eldraine um, because the Collector Boosters is covering that off. It's like they're double dipping on premium product for the first time. So it's two premium products for the same set. Can they pull it off? I suspect the answer is yes. So you'll have... Pre-release foil Okos, pack foil <laughs> yes, Okos, yes, collector boost, collector booster foil Okos, and non foil, and, and non foil. Because uh, okay, you can get, I'd have to you, look back at that chart, but you can get borderless Oko in the collector booster with and without foil. So we're up to four versions, and if you're right, and he does show up in the Dux edition as like the token include from the set, that would be a fifth version, which is not that impossible because. Uh, Nicol Bolas, uh, Dragon God or whatever from War of the Spark had English version, pre-release version, Japanese version, Japanese pre-release version, um, Japanese alt art, Japanese alt art pre-release version, and the San Diego Comic-Con version this summer. So there are seven copies of that card in the first four months. I'm going with all of this is stupid. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going with is that the more different version, premium versions of a card there are, the harder it is going to be to sell any of them. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And, because and, and if there was and you'll need to one pick, myth. You'll need to figure out which one is going to be the preferred one because that's the one you want to buy. Well, if you even can. I mean, it's like you're and different people are going to like different versions too. Ech, ech, I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, can well, we can, I understand can, can we talk about these frames? Uh, yeah, briefly. I know I'm, I need to get my steak out of the sous vide machines, but we so but we can talk about it briefly. Oh, excusez-moi. Yeah. Monsieur. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, these frames are ugly. They're too busy. I get what they were going for. I think thematically they nailed it, but aesthetically it's still too much, too much, too much. Like, and the, and the other thing is that the art is not, uh, has no negative space. Like the entire entirety of these cards is just full. And so the eye does not really know where to look from a design perspective. I qualify these as a fail, especially as I'm looking at them like alongside Oko thief of crowns, like normal version such a cleaner template yeah i i like i think their goal with the art on these was probably to have them be sort of storybook art yeah. which um is very very dense typically in its illustration you know mm-hmm. if you go back and look at you know old disney films where they start with like the page of a yep a fairy tale book they do that but then on top of that you have the very busy frame i actually don't hate the frame 
by default. The issue is like the adventure component of it. I think that just looks goofy. Um, if you had just gotten rid of the adventure portion, if it didn't say heart's desire, if it didn't say sorcery dash adventure, essentially if that text didn't exist, if this was just a normal creature and you had that frame with the open book pages for the text box, I think it's fine. It's just that little bit of extra drags the frame down. And, and then on a separate note, the artwork for those two pieces is too busy, but that's not a indi- uh, indictment of the frame. That's an indictment of the well, artwork of the overall art direction which I've had a problem with for a long time <laughs> with Met. Wow. With, sure. With magic, okay. Right. The, the, yeah. some of these, some of this, these framing work has been an exercise in minimalism and has been much appreciated, at least by me. Other people may be super into these. It's going to be the same as the Amonkhet invocations where they bothered me every time I looked at them. These don't bother me as much because at least they're legible. <laughs> they do have that going for them. You can look at them and read <laughs> which them. Which is nice. Um, I am never going to get over that crap that they said they expected us to not be able to read the Amonkhet <laughs> ones. Oh, my God. All right. We got to wrap yes, this up. Because, uh, First, let's hungry. give away a $25 gift certificate to OBE, Pro Trader Discord member sitting in our Discord. You have won the $25 gift certificate from Cool Stuff Inc., our lovely sponsor. Go spend big over there and make sure we get more of those. Good job, buddy. Where can our listeners find You guys find can find games? me online at uh, MTG Critic on Twitter, as well as uh, occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. And I am constantly haunting the MTG Price Pro Trader Discord, helping out our members to make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. And I am on Twitter. My name is Travis Allen at Wizard Bumpin, B U M P I N. I also write at the MTG Price website, doing the Watchtower series every Monday, assuming that uh, our WordPress works. <laughs> yeah. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and make this game cheaper. Yeah. All right. Uh... Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Uh, I thought that was a great episode. Uh, I thought our discussion of the uh, adventure text was completely meaningless, and people will complain that... (laughs) We wasted their time with it, uh, but I enjoyed talking about it nonetheless so people can see that we figured it out before they before they told us how it worked. Um, but uh, I had a good time, and I will see you, I believe, next Thursday. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.